Hello everyone, this is Data Driven Formula One and uh, I'm Gana Pogrebna and I have Patrick Hans with me. Hello Patrick. Hello Gana. <laughs> uh, nice to be back. Yeah, nice to be back and today we are discussing uh, 19, 1955 season of Formula One. Quite an eventful season, uh, a lot of things happened. So exactly, not an not an easy, uh, easy season, and uh, I assume also 1955 was not uh, the best year for motorsports in general. Maybe uh, you may even say it was the blackest uh, year mm. in general. If we also not only have the view focus on Formula One, but also include uh, the Le Mans accident, which we discussed uh, quite on detail in the last episode, where we spoke about. Mike Horton, so I guess we will not repeat it that on detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we can just touch on it. But uh, yeah, but um, I guess uh, maybe it was a logical um, sort of um, consequence of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, cars becoming faster and uh, uh, viewers kind of uh, luring into these uh, circuits and, 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 you know, so yeah, it probably was just... Uh, uh, something that was uh, bound to happen at one point and uh, unfortunately the security the safety <laughs> became yeah. uh, well i mean it it would be nice to have kind of uh, safety considerations um appear earlier right uh, but yeah they they kind of started to uh, to be an important thing after all these fatalities. And uh, the, in 1955, we had four driver fatalities, right? In At least in amongst the uh, Formula One drivers. So yeah, we're gonna talk about that today. Yes, uh, agree to this. And uh, this is what you see maybe often in technical development. Uh, one part is advancing, advancing and uh, the other parts around, unfortunately, are not developing, evolving in the same speed. And also, I mean, uh, society in general had uh, to adapt. Uh, it was maybe until the end of the 1960s. You may remember we had this uh, case here in the US about the Ford uh, Pinto, uh, which uh, unfortunately tends to explode if it has an accident, uh, if somebody crashes from behind. Something which was, um, detected by Ford's own engineers, but unfortunately the company that did some internal calculations and uh, concluded that uh, paying for the predicted lawsuits at that time would be cheaper than re-engineering the car. So they brought a car on the market from which they had already known that it was flawed. And at that time, um, Ford CEO was Lee Iacocca, quite uh, iconic uh, CEO. Later, he was also active for uh, Chrysler. And uh, especially at that time, he once said, the customer is not willing uh, to pay for safety. So safety, uh, it wasn't a big topic in societies, maybe until the end of the 1960s. And uh, if we see the behavior of the spectators at uh, the Formula One races, at the uh, street races, or also still later, maybe until the 1980s in the rally sports, uh, where you see the people standing directly at the street where the cars are passing by in high speed. And sometimes they wanted to get a good uh, photo shoot. So they have been in the middle of the streets and only in the last moment uh, 
jumped uh, out of the way of the car. So it was also, it was, uh, as you said, the development of the cars becoming faster and faster. But uh, on the other hand, uh, there was still a lacking of understanding about the importance of uh, health and safety in societies in general. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Um, let's let's yeah, come yeah. to, this, to, the, to the, the numbers. Yeah, and um, yeah, we have... Uh, We didn't have the, 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 the change of the champion. The champion remained, <laughs> remained the same. Uh, so yeah. uh, as uh, Juan Manuel Fangio won four, I think. Four, yeah, four out of uh, seven um, yes. races. And again, Indianapolis was quite different, but even more so this year uh, in 1955 because um yeah they couldn't quite run according to formula one regulations and uh yeah that basically that race counted towards two championships formula one championship and also triple a triple a championship so that was quite a big difference from the previous years exactly and uh, a little bit similar to uh, 2020 now What we are seeing here is uh, the season at the end, uh, how it was, uh, but it's not uh, the season as it was planned. So we do not see anymore the um, Swiss Grand Prix and also missing is the Spanish Grand Prix, which dropped off after the uh, accident at Le Mans in the middle of the year. So this is, uh, we, we only see the races uh, as they really uh, took uh, place. Also important, um, we only see here the pole positions, fastest lap and the winner. Uh, important maybe to um, address um, that uh, the Argentinian Grand Prix, um, besides the pole position, the second uh, qualifier was Alberto Ascari. And now finally the Lancia D50 uh, became a, a fast car. Uh, but unfortunately, also this time in that uh, race, both Lanchas not uh, saw the checkered flag. And this tool, that both drivers, Ascari and uh, uh, the other, his colleague, had been involved into accidents. So it was this time accidents and not uh, the unreliability of the car. Yeah, and uh, also, yeah, right after the Monaco race, um, um, four days after uh, Alberto Ascari uh, died, in Monza, right? So I think it was just just a few days after. Exactly, yeah. and mm -hmm. we will uh, mention the quite uh, strange accident which happened to um, Ascari in Monaco. And uh, so something similar as we discussed in uh, earlier seasons, we see Mercedes really unchallenged uh, took the victories. Maybe it would have been uh, different if uh, Lancia and especially Alberto Ascari Uh, could have participated, um, but mm -hmm. uh, Lancia, they dropped out uh, after the Ascari, uh, after Ascari unfortunately uh, died in testing. But we will yeah. come back to this. Yeah, 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 that's right. And I guess that that was probably uh, why Ferrari uh, took such a hit uh, right in that season. And um, yeah, so before we go to Argentina, I just also wanted to mention Sterling Moss, like you could see Sterling Moss in the previous season, but this was the first time he actually won um, a race. So his first winning race was uh, 1955. 
and um, yeah, he participated all the all the way until 1961. I think his last victory was 1961, and um, yeah, and he kind of was a like a lone runner in the sport. And um, yeah, we will talk about him separately as well. Yes. Uh... I know you are a fan of Sterling Moss and we will <laughs> yeah, short, shortly, <laughs> shortly mention it in, in the British Grand Prix because yeah, there yeah. are some, yeah, yeah, some rumors yeah. that uh, he got uh, this uh, as a present as maybe Fancho let him. Do. I so disagree. Is, I think he was... Uh, I, I don't know. I can see Sterling Moss saying that himself, but I, I, I just think that he was just polite to... Um, to the memory of Fangio and all that. Yeah, we would have to see the the video of the race. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, we start with Argentina. Um, and um, yeah, so so again, quite, a, um, quite an interesting race. And you can see the circuit. I just wanted to show you the circuit, yeah. how, um, how difficult that circuit actually is. So that's quite a, uh, uh, quite a task and a half. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, I mean, in a sense, there was no surprises there because, um, um, yeah, Fangio won, uh, right? And, but, uh, you know, it was um, also pretty good run for uh, Maurice Trintignan. Um, we actually haven't talked much about Maurice Trintignan, but I just want to say that um, probably uh, at least uh, people on the kind of on the other side. Uh, if you, even if you never heard about Maurice Trintignan, you probably heard about Jean-Louis Trintignan, who is a famous actor, and he's actually a nephew of Maurice Trintignan. And Maurice Trintignan uh, lived uh, all the way to uh, 2005. He passed away in 2005, so he lived a very long life. And yes, he's an uncle. He's related to to Jean-Louis Trintignan. If you're if you are a fan of uh, French cinema, like like myself, for example, and you maybe didn't hear about Maurice Trintignan, you surely know his nephew. Yeah, um, yeah. So so again, um, um, you know, in, in very interesting Argentinian race, and that's before we had a, an accident in Le Mans. Um, and obviously, before the restrictions uh, applied to um, the safety restrictions applied to many circuits, and uh, probably at that stage, uh, the, the, there was a plan to go to Spain and there might have been a plan to go to Switzerland, but uh, it never happened because uh, of that uh, incident. And if you haven't watched uh, the previous. Um, two episodes where we discussed uh, what happened yeah basically uh, over 80 people from the audience from from the you know spectators died um, yeah as a result of uh, a collision where three cars were involved basically but uh, yeah so and it was very unfortunate event yeah and uh, it had um, it's yeah it had a stall on on the whole um, yeah, on the whole development of sport, we can say. Uh, yeah, um, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, ju just uh, to add uh, and coming back uh, to Argentina, 
uh, we see here that also the uh, Mercedes, they had uh, that uh, leak and some uh, technical problems. So from the three ones, only Fancho uh, saw the um, checkered flags. As mentioned, uh, Ascari had been involved in an accident. And this is the reason why the two uh, Ferraris by Farina and uh, Trintinon uh, could uh, finish uh, two and uh, second and third because uh, to be honest, and we will see it later when we speak about the cars, uh, uh, their 625 was quite a relatively old car for Formula One. So it was non, wasn't on the same level as Mercedes or the Lancia D50. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we obviously discussed all the issues with Lancia D50 in 1954 season. Um, so yeah, uh, so that was just not probably uh, not a good year for for Scuderia Ferrari and the Lancia team as well. So um, and it probably was quite challenging for them to run two makes at the same time. I'm just just speculating here, but I'm guessing that that's not very easy. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, we had the same problem already uh, in uh, 1954 when uh, yeah, Ferrari had uh, two different uh, cars, uh, so which they had independently uh, developed. Uh, and that's um, maybe one of the reasons why none of the two designs really have been competitive. And uh, after the accident from Ascari, uh, some said it was the reason why Lancia dropped off, but uh, to be honest, uh, Lancia, it was a quite a small team and uh, they overstretched uh, their budget. Um, they not only had been entering uh, Formula One, but they also at the same time, they've been entering the sports car races uh, where they developed the Lancia D24, which was also quite beautiful car looking very similar to the famous Ferrari Testarossa. Mm -hmm. So it seems uh, Lancia had the problem first, they overstretched their budget and then their star driver uh, died. And this was the reason why they uh, dropped off. And uh, Enzo Ferrari uh, could practically get the Lancia team uh, for free. He paid some lira, but honestly, it was nearly nothing. And with this, uh, he got this quite superior quality because really the D50 was a great uh, Formula One car design, uh, including he got uh, all the um, engineers and drivers from Lancia for free. And due to this, uh, they decided to stop the development of their own two cars and later for the 1956 season would use the D50 from Lancia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I mean, um, also I think, yeah, so what, what you see on the screen is a Monaco race, which was also quite eventful for Ferrari team. And again, Maurice Trentignan won that race, but uh, Ascari got into a, 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 an accident. We've discussed that when we talk, talked about uh, Alberto Ascari and then, you know, his tragic death in just a few days later in Monza, I think. Um, so, yeah, like Patrick uh, was uh, telling us uh, in the episode about Enzo Ferrari, how, you know, Enzo Ferrari got really hit by this death. Um, so that probably all was too much for like way too much for Ferrari to handle in one season. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of resulted in 
Mercedes domination for the rest of the season, even though, you know, like we could see that uh, Lancia and, and Ferrari were both competitive uh, in the season, so probably could have competed quite nicely against Mercedes. But um, yeah, in the end, you know, all these things probably completely took them kind of out of competition. Yes, and uh, just uh, to repeat for our spectators, uh, I mean, it, this was really a very strange um, accident for Monaco, uh, as it's uh, Ascari not only crashed, uh, but he uh, fell down uh, the harbor, so the divers had to get him out of the waters. Luckily, uh, he nearly nothing happened to, to him. Maybe he broke uh, his nose, but besides this, uh, Nothing happened, even if it was, of course, a very spectacular accident for Monaco. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing him uh, uh, with the car practically flying uh, into the sea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so that was uh, that was Monaco. So, yeah, Indianapolis. Oh, well, that is a pretty um, tragic uh, yes. uh, race. Because we lost uh, two people there, and one of them is on your screen. We haven't shown him before, the Manuel Ayulo. Uh, so who uh, so, so you can basically, if you go into to Indianapolis Racing Museum, you could see uh, him and uh, Bill Vukovic, and uh, both of them basically uh, lost their lives um, Indianap in Indianapolis that year. Um, and uh, if you remember the previous two seasons that we covered uh, with Patrick uh, already, Bill Vukovic won the previous two Indianapolis races and was really going for the win this time. Uh, so he was definitely uh, the main contender. Um, yeah. And um, exactly. So practically in a very short uh, difference in time, we lost uh, two champions, uh, um, Bill Vukovic two-times winner of Indianapolis and uh, Alberto Ascari, two-time uh, Formula One world champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, so, so that, that was just uh, um, uh, not only Indianapolis had this uh, very special rules uh, this year in the sense that, you know, they couldn't really run according to the, um, according to the Formula, Formula One um, specs and so that was as a result of uh, the Le um, incident and so they had to run a kind of a different race and all of that meant that on the one hand probably more people could potentially enter but at the same time that made it uh, made the race even more unsafe for everybody you know good drivers in particular and uh, uh, we could basically see the result uh, immediately, yeah. Exactly, and with this we are coming to Belgium, mm. which was a relatively boring uh, race. Uh, there have been... Uh, yeah, because Mercedes, Merce yeah, Mercedes yeah, just didn't have any, any competitors there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, since uh, practically like uh, Formula One the last years, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as you can see here, uh, after the two Mercedes, uh, we had uh, Farina with uh, two minutes uh, of a gap. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so interesting, uh, still uh, participating was uh, Castellotti, and this was now the only Lancia D50 because this uh, he was not driving for the manufacturing team, but uh, he was driving a private Lancia D50. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, but uh, really, I mean, uh, Mercedes just didn't have any competitors, and not like I think they they could absolutely compete but i think for kind of for the rest of that season um yeah ferrari was in, not in a good and lancia they were not in a good shape and uh, if you remember our episode about M mike hothan uh, you would you would know that he was kind of partially blaming himself after Le Mans as well, and there was an investigation. So all of that could probably kind of all these layers of complexity um, did not allow Ferrari to actually be quite as competitive as they could be. Yes, um, I mean, uh, Ferrari, they hadn't been from start not be that uh, competitive that uh, season. But also, let's say, due to my experience, uh, a merger of two companies always uh, leads uh, to problem as we have to align each other we have to see who's responsible for that so uh, often after uh, a company gets acquired or if after two companies uh, merge there's still some at least half a year uh, of vulnerability where they're not working um, on the level where they could uh, work so this i mean quite logical after the acquiring of the Lancia team that there have been many internal tasks for the Ferrari team so that they couldn't uh, concentrate uh, maybe on the races. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Oh, UK. Oh, UK. <laughs> yeah, and here we go. This is Stirling Moss uh, uh, um, when he, uh, yeah, so it, it is kind of already, uh, uh, later years in the, in 2011, so Stirling Moss um, was competing before in in Formula One races, but mm -hmm. this was the first race he actually won, and we will talk about him separately. But uh, he is um, particularly famous for the fact that he he had an enormous number of wins uh, in the sport, but he never won the championship. So he's probably one of the most kind of underrated people who nevertheless are in, in the Hall of Fame of Formula One. And uh, Stirling Moss uh, lived a very long life. He actually passed away this year on the 12th of April, um, the 12th of April 2020. And uh, he was, uh, yeah, absolutely amazing figure and we will talk about him separately, but this was the first uh, race that he won and not only that he was he done he 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 did it in Silverstone <laughs> which yeah. probably meant a lot for him and uh, yeah like Patrick uh, Patrick says that you know he he did say that it probably was because Fangio let him win but uh, I, I doubt that I mean I, I think they were both very competitive people and uh, you know um yeah, I'm, I'm sure Fangio was after winning things, uh, even, at, even at that point, even, even in, uh, you know, e even in uh, kind of competing together with uh, Stirling Moss as a teammate, but still, I think he was after winning the championship and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, and just just to add, um, this was uh, this company was also the uh, debut of Jack Brabham, a very famous uh, name in Formula One. Over the next uh, decades, practically, um, and until the end of 1980s, when we had yeah yeah Jack Brabham, that's that's another figure that we, should, we will talk about separately, and yeah, right. so also amazing, amazing person. <laughs> Yeah, but here's Stirling Moss for you. And this is the actual uh, photo from the start of uh, Silverstone race. And this was done for a, for a German paper because you can see, like, I just I decided to leave all the, like, um, the, so the, 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 the uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the subtitle <laughs> there. And uh, yeah, it basically tells you that like, from left to right, that the Stirling Moss, Fangio, and uh, Jean Pera in Maserati. So and you can see what the cars looked like and uh, the drivers looked like. And uh, we will also see uh, a bit later uh, uh, Stirling Moss, uh, Moses' photo from that year mm -hmm. uh, when he was a young man. So um, yeah, but uh, this is pretty much uh, like what it looked like. So you can see that they've made some changes because uh, Patrick and I showed you Silverstone just a few years back when, you know, people could actually stand on the track practically. But you can see here there is some safety space already and uh, the, you know, the spectators, the viewers are quite separated from the track. Yeah, that's right. um, so, but um, if you look at the drivers, we still see pretty much the same a picture in terms of like no protection at all on them but yeah the spectators i think a bit a bit better protected and uh, the this photo is taken from the um, yeah from the if, uh, from the kind of journalist corner where you could get slightly uh closer to the race but uh, yeah so as a like you had to have a special badge for that so you couldn't be a member of public wandering around there so um yeah so that's i think important difference yeah. and yeah mercedes one there so as, as... exactly and uh, with this uh, we are going to uh, monza mm -hmm. uh, interesting uh, monza it has been um, updated especially the uh, parabolka mm -hmm. who've become now a little bit uh, more uh, stiff so this is uh, the new parabolica as it was driven in the 95 italian Mm -hmm. Grand Prix, uh, very fascinating uh, to have this, of course, uh, in a race. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we had uh, something similar in the Nürburgring, not that big uh, and not that stiff, but uh, on a smaller scale, such a curve we also have in the Nürburgring uh, race, uh, which have been used maybe until the end of the 1990s, uh, not for uh, formula racing, but uh, I remember that uh, in the middle of the 1990s, also the German touring cars uh, uh, had been uh, using the extended uh, Nürburgring, where they still had uh, the stiff uh, curves. This was <clears throat> very uh, typical for the Italian race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we also have, I guess we also have to mention that even though like there were only seven races in, in that season, there were quite a few races uh, outside, kind of outside the season, uh, 
that yes. the same drivers participated in. So it was quite quite a lot of events, uh, even though like we are only discussing the Formula One events. And uh, yeah, so it, these drivers, they took risks uh, in kind of many other circumstances. So, um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the fact that, um, you know, the f finally it took, it took that many, uh, it took that many lives to start considering safety, um, was probably a logical step, but, uh, it's, it's good that at least at that stage, they started to think about it a little bit more. So, yeah, yeah. that's correct. So, uh, as you can imagine, seeing this parabolica um, monster was a very uh, high-speed uh, race, and uh, due to this, uh, Maserati they took uh, inspiration from uh, Mercedes, and as we will see later, they used a special version of the 250F in a little bit more aerodynamic. So this wasn't an um, open-wheel uh, race car as Mercedes and also Ferrari uh, used, as you can see in that uh, photo. Yeah, but uh, like uh, Patrick, uh, you mentioned in uh, in the previous uh, in one of the previous episodes when we discussed Enzo Ferrari that Enzo Ferrari was really keen on um, on engines <laughs> rather than rather than aerodynamics, and he was kind of mocking people for kind of using aerodynamics. He was saying that basically I don't remember the exact uh, quote, but it's, uh, it was something along the lines that people who can't make engines they they, they worry about aerodynamics. Yeah, so exactly. I think so I think for many years Ferrari car was kind of like really the power force in terms of developing engine uh, engine innovation. And I think it's only in uh, more recent years that they started to really pay a lot of attention to aerodynamics. Exactly. I, I would assume what we see here in, uh, on the photo is first uh, one of the Ferrari 625 and the car behind looks like one of the Mercedes. So you see, the, the honestly, the Ferrari, it doesn't include any special aerodynamics in opposite uh, to the Maserati, which is not unfortunately on the photo, but uh, um, we will show you a little bit later in this uh, episode. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, is this here? Yeah, I just wanted also to say that we do not discuss uh, the Dutch uh, Grand Prix, but uh, again, it was not very eventful and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we will we will at some point talk about the the circuit uh, uh, in the Netherlands, but uh, you know we we just uh, yeah decided to drop that yeah. uh, just for the purposes of this episode. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. So technology. Oh yeah, so W196 Mercedes, uh, beautiful car. And I think on the next slide we have Fungio driving it as a um, as a as as a showcase drive in 1986. So, but that's actually the car in which he won uh, uh, in which he won the 1955. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's great. Um, I'm not completely sure uh, how Mercedes does it. Uh, I, I would assume they do something similar. As I know from uh, Alfa Romeo, that they have uh, a small internal department who take care of the cars. So they're, they're not only in the manufacturing uh, museum in Stuttgart, but also some of them they are in good condition. So you can uh, 
use them in for classic races or to uh, present them in such uh, showcases as maybe a race weekend um, to celebrate uh, some anniversary, etc. And um, yeah, again, like we, when when we get to when we get to 1960s, we will discuss uh, the um, you know the sponsorship. So like you can like what amazes me about these pictures is that like the complete absence of any stickers or anything like that. In in uh, contrast, by the way, to the the American cars, right? That already had some. Uh, uh, some of that, I mean, some, I mean, whether we're not like proper sponsorship stickers, but uh, you, you could see quite a lot of uh, colors and uh, uh, some of the, uh, you know, so, some of the indication who paid for, for all of this. Yeah. So, yeah, so here you just, it's just very simple design, clean and uh, yeah, beautiful car. Exactly. And uh, often, uh, Still, in the beginning, it wasn't directly that the sponsor uh, just uh, paid, but it was uh, uh, that they are somehow had been a provider for the team. Uh, so uh, the first uh, sponsoring on a Ferrari was Shell, as it was a long-term partner. And uh, quite interesting, uh, Shell still today is supporting the Ferrari team. So in the beginning, it wasn't directly that these are companies paying but this has been like their providers uh, in any way supporting the team. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, there was also a lot of, um, quite, quite a lot of sponsorship uh, contributions went into circuits because uh, the circuits that uh, they initially raced on were a lot better than some of the, some of the circuits that they're racing on now. And that is, uh, yeah. Primarily because of, you know, sponsors. Yeah, but we will talk about this again. We will definitely talk about this separately. Like all the whole money making in Formula One is extremely interesting how that yes. works and uh, what matters. So we will definitely tell you all about it. At least all we know about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Maserati. Maserati, yeah. uh, honestly, in the 1955 season, they not played uh, a big uh, role in opposite to earlier seasons where they have been quite close, but in 55 they had been um, a little bit, uh, had been a higher gap uh, to Mercedes and I uh, assume also to the Lancia team. Mm -hmm. um, on the left, you see the normal version of the 250. On the right, and I also can show it a little bit in the camera. This is the version a little bit mm -hmm. inspired by uh, Mercedes-Benz from their last year's car. So this is their version for the uh, high-speed train, high-speed trains, uh, high-speed tracks, high tracks. Uh, like for example in uh, Monza. And this is how at least uh, Maserati uh, deployed the car on the Italian uh, track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this, uh, this is the uh, 250 and yeah, like I said, this, this car that I showed you last time from 1954 uh, season. So that's actually, this, this car is actually 1955 make um, yeah. um, uh, from the Coventry Transport Museum. And um, indeed, I mean, this car was uh, the car that Maserati used uh, for various uh, racing purposes up until uh, 1957 so there was you know different modifications but yeah pretty much it was the same the same car that's correct um, yeah 
With this, we are coming to Ferrari, and honestly, uh, I didn't find uh, photos where we would have the rights to show, so we have to continue again with small ones. So the left one is the 555 uh, update on evolution of the last year's 553. Quite traditional design, as uh, Gunnar mentioned. Enzo Ferrari, not a big fan of aerodynamics, so... Oops. <laughs> a rather classical uh, designed car now in its uh, second uh, year the same valid for the car on the right uh, which is by the way um, the one from Mauricio Trincena the car which uh, what he won the Monaco Grand Prix as you mentioned also the driver still hadn't uh, had much protection yeah, so they pretty much started the way Right, still in, in 1956, 25, uh, and that year was already driving like in the fourth year, so not really competitive, but luckily quite reliable. And that way, they could win Monaco and get some uh, important points in the uh, Argentinian Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I think it's probably not only that you know I can I can I can see on the Ferrari was kind of like you know I'm not going I'm go I'm not going to do aerodynamics that, that that I can see but also I think considering that for example Langeka the D50 was only pretty much ready for the end of 1954 season I, I think it's just business there was no business case for kind of making a completely new car even though like yeah we already see here that there are some elements <laughs> of aerodynamics yeah. on this one so we discussed it last time this kind of uh, interesting panels on the exactly. sides and, mm. and honestly a very uh, effective uh, car even if it doesn't look that uh, aerodynamic as the maserati or the mercedes-benz um, last uh, season but uh, as we learned, uh, Mercedes had uh, many problems with their aerodynamic version. That's why also they went back to a quite conventional car. And also Maserati, even with this update, had not been able to compete against uh, Mercedes. As you mm -hmm. mentioned, Enzo Ferrari, he wasn't a big fan of aerodynamics as he was really an engine guy. He once famously said, uh, I married the 12-cylinder engine and never got uh, divorced. So he was really into engines. Uh, but also on the other hand, uh, he, was, um, he had a small uh, group of uh, people who he trusted. And one of them was uh, Vittorio Llano, the engineer who had been behind uh, Lancia's Formula One team. So... Um, so let's say if somebody like uh, Vittorio, in this case, uh, who told him we need aerodynamics, then I think he, he would have listened uh, to him. And in fact, he did because uh, he, he uh, um, acquired the Lancia team and practically only changed details uh, in the, before the D50. So uh, he stopped the development of both Ferraris and uh, took Lancia's uh, approach for the next uh, season, which have been a little bit more um, sophisticated regarding uh, not maybe not directly aerodynamics, but uh, uh, how uh, to distribute the weights uh, on the car. And uh, with this, uh, it should uh, uh, Ferrari should have a quite successful year in 1956 at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. 
And um, I, I really like the story that Patrick told in, 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 the, in the episode uh, we did on Enzo Ferrari that uh, uh, Enzo Ferrari once even did a, a car with two engines, which <laughs> 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 <It> was <laughs> quite, a, quite an amazing story. Okay, so this is Zincurtis Roadster, so this is actually the winning uh, car that um, Bob uh, Swikert was uh, driving and he started at uh, 14th position in uh, the race in Indianapolis, but um, like we explained before, uh, Bill Vukovich, um, yeah, lost his life uh that day so you know basically yeah so that was uh, ultimately the winning uh, the winning car and this is the curtis craft offenhauser car that was competing that season very much like uh the 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 car that bill vukovic has driven the previous year except the color is different right uh, but other than that it's very very similar that's right mm -hmm. With this, uh, we're leaving uh, the machines and coming to the people. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so here's Stilling Moss at 26. And that's his photo from that season, from Silverstone, I believe. And uh, uh, yeah, you can see. I mean, one, one thing that you can see that, you know, helmets uh, were kind of a little bit, a little bit better, maybe. Yeah than the, they used to be because previously they were just soft helmets but here you can already see that he's wearing this uh, more hard yep. helmet there but yeah so this is stealing was at his kind of first win <laughs> race <laughs> winning race and uh yeah Juan Manuel Fangio, whom we discussed before we haven't uh, actually talked much about Eugenio Castellotti but yeah also very interesting uh figure and uh very effective driver and I think for him was probably very like for all uh, drivers uh, uh, associated with Lancia Ferrari that season probably was very very difficult with so many so many you know uh, fatalities happening and um, you yeah, exactly. know and he was like uh, the number two uh, maybe behind Alberto Ascari so uh, so even if he changed, uh, he started with Lancia and uh, changed uh, to Ferrari uh, due to the acquisition of uh, Lancia by Ferrari. I think uh, this was uh, very effective, as you've mentioned, uh, season from him, because uh, being uh, becoming third after Fancho and Sterling Moss, I think this was the best uh, of the rest, uh, as you often say. Um, and um, so being the first after the Mercedes, um, I think it's a very uh, good result. Yeah, 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 definitely. And very talented guy as well. So uh, if you look at his biography, but, you know, and the, another thing that, you know, I want to, to, to emphasize here is that we see more and more younger drivers and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Gino Castellotti was 25 and, you know, Stealing Most was 26. Uh, uh, we discussed Mike Horton was also very young uh, at, that, at that stage, so about the same age as they are. So, uh, yeah, really, uh, we have this new wave of younger younger people. 
and we also had mature people uh, at the same time. So it was a very interesting combination. Uh, whereas now we have pretty much m like people on the younger side. Yeah, uh, like I said before, Maurice Trintignan, whom we haven't discussed last time. We showed him last time, but for some reason we skipped him. But yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he is uh, he's from a very, very uh, kind of interesting family, also with racing traditions. And like I said, he is, he is the uncle of, uh, uh, of uh, Jean-Louis Trintignan, uh, so very famous family in France. And uh, definitely uh, also v very skillful driver. So he uh, uh, he won um, Monaco race uh, that season in 1955, and was very uh, uh, also very I think influential figure um, in, in racing in general because he also lived a very long life, and, uh, very interesting, eventful life. Exactly, and then uh, we have again uh, Nino Farina for uh, Ferrari, now uh, already with 49 years of age, and uh, maybe you s uh, slowly uh, recognize it. Uh, uh, he was a former world champion, but it seems that uh, he, wa he still was very reliable, but maybe not as fast anymore as his uh, younger colleagues as Maurice uh, Trincino or uh, Eugenio Castellotti who've been much uh, younger and mm -hmm. uh, driving for the same uh, team. Yeah, but by, by that time, he also suffered quite a few, he was in quite a few accidents. I think yeah. it also probably is probably not only the age, but you know, all this like psychological combination, yeah. psychological and physical uh, ability uh, is not the same if you've been, you know, involved in so many accidents. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agreed on that. Yeah. Then the next one, uh, Piero Taruffi, and uh, something what we discussed already uh, for the last season. We see we, we still not have a manufacturing um, championship, and also, and also in opposite to the, today, the teams had not been limited to two drivers, but had like four or more drivers, uh, which some of them not even uh, drove the whole season. So it wasn't that uh, unusual uh, to change in the middle um, of the season, like uh, Piero did. Uh, so he went uh, from uh, Ferrari and then joined the Daimler-Benz team. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, as we sometimes mention it in the episode, uh, if you are curious about him, there's a small uh, museum. Unfortunately, I personally don't uh, know it. It's in the Lazio region, so meaning uh, near Rome. If you are interested, uh, you put here the link, and I think we will put it also under the comments to this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will definitely do that. And yeah, we always encourage people to kind of go and see museums and read books. <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely a good, uh, good idea. Okay. Oh, Bob Swikert, very interesting guy. Um, and uh, you know, uh, when you, if you Google him, you normally find a lot of pictures of him with very pretty women. <laughs> so he, he was, 
Yeah, he was very, uh, very good-looking guy, and uh, you know, he, uh, yeah, he was uh, the star of Indianapolis 500, and he actually considered um, career in um, in Europe after this win, but he unfortunately died uh, in a tragic accident in 1956 uh, during the race, and yeah, so, so yeah, he died basically the following year in 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 uh, in an accident if yeah if you want to know more about him uh, again indica racing museum is a great place to, to see a lot about him and uh, yeah so um uh, just uh, strikes me as a kind of modern type of uh, driver <laughs> kind of this playboyish type and uh, you know very uh, uh, athletic and uh, um, more, more of a, uh, a show business star <laughs> than, than, than driving star, but definitely very talented driver, very talented driver. And like I said, he was, uh, he would probably, would have probably raced in Europe um, after Indianapolis, but yeah, it didn't, didn't quite happen for him. Right, and... Uh... Only after this, uh, we had uh, the two drivers from the Maserati team. So as I said, in 1955, there had been a little bit uh, a gap between Maserati and the leading Mercedes or even uh, Lancia or uh, Ferrari. So we have uh, Roberto Mieres and uh, then uh, John Berra. Especially John Berra, also a quite interesting character as he was a little bit uh, uh, unreliable Sometimes he was driving very motivated, very fast, but sometimes he seemed to be a little bit unmotivated and not giving 100% what he could do. So quite interesting character also. And unfortunately also later he died in an accident. Yeah, I just I just think that uh, I mean I'm not uh, uh, this is more of a speculation kind of based of based on my personal uh, uh, knowledge of 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 Jandera, but uh, I think he was a very emotional kind of guy, yeah. and uh, yeah, so that uh, uh, you know uh, we we saw as we as we saw before. I mean, some of these guys were really kind of this unstoppable, passionate guys like Nino Farina. So mm -hmm. it worked sometimes, like for some people it did work, but for others it could backfire. And I think he's a, <laughs> Shantara is a, an example when, you know, your emotions could really intervene with, um, with your performance. Yeah, exactly. So again, we're coming to the topic mm -hmm. of uh, Behavior. Yeah, behavior. Yeah, so like uh, um, I think um, to me again uh, the the notable character of the season would be Sterling Moss and actually Enzo Ferrari, I'd say, because oh, um, because after everything that happened, uh, it was probably very difficult to still kind of hold this team together. Uh, but he did it, so he did. He managed to achieve that, which is which is great. Even though you know you kind of pretty much sacrificed uh, the rest of the season, but you know uh, 
you know, it, it, it survived, the team survived and it, it, yeah. the team is still alive today. So, so that, that's, that's, that's worth a lot. So uh, yeah. I guess it was a, a calculated uh, risk as the, the similar as you discussed with Alberto Ascari as he changed uh, to lunch and, uh, and so saw that uh, the two cars, which he had at the moment, uh, hadn't been really working so good, so uh, he he took the chance uh, which he had. Uh, of course, a high risk, as we as we know, uh, uh, integrating another team into your own team. Uh, there are risks that um, that you are struggling, that uh, people are not uh, working together as they should. So he took this risk, but let's say it was a calculated risk, as he saw this uh, two cars which he had right at the moment. He couldn't continue with them uh, for the next season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you go to the next slide, yeah, I just wanted to repeat this picture uh, from Silverstone. And um, yeah, so to me, there were two notable wins that season. Uh, one that is not pictured here, and that's uh, Maurice Tritignan's win in Monaco for Ferrari. Mm -hmm. um, I think very important race. And um, yeah, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of strategy, it also kind of showed you that uh, it's not it's not it's not really that you know you um, uh, it's not only the dominant car that that can can win you the race, but it's the teamwork and uh, this. Um, the, I guess this ability to still continue the race, even though, you know, something happened to number one on the team, which was, uh, well, it, uh, uh, you know, to, to Alberto Ascari uh, in Lanja, but, you know, it is still kind of, we kind of, I consider it the same team anyway. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how, you know, this, uh, the team can pull itself together despite all the things that could potentially happen during the race um, and uh, you can still concentrate on on winning um, and uh, yeah the second uh, the second notable not notable win would be here the silverstone uh, in uh, yeah. by Sterling moss and uh, really that was uh uh, very important win for all the Brits <laughs> because yes. that was the first time a British driver won a home race in Silverstone. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with these two notable wins, um, especially um, as uh, Monaco, let's say it's the one circuit uh, a year which is uh, nearly a driver's track. So uh, here the differences uh, in speed or handling of the car are not that important in relation to the driving skills um, of the driver and also nowadays also how the driver uh, interacts uh, with the team as uh, you have to see together when you're going in for the pit stop, uh, which tires, etc. So this is very, where the human is much more important in opposite to the pure machine as uh, the car. Mm -hmm. uh, notable strategies, as you've mentioned, uh, uh, Enzo Ferrari, he took uh, the chance and acquired uh, the Lancia team and even nearly uh, acquired it uh, for free. Uh, you may, it may be said uh, that this was also supported uh, with the help of um, 
of Fiat uh, who, who wanted to ensure uh, that this goes to Ferrari as it's, there are some rumors that uh, behind the small uh, Lancia team was also uh, the money from the big uh, Fiat uh, company. So anyway, uh, he made the bet and uh, it would uh, work out for him as we will discuss in the season when we speak about 1956. Um, mm -hmm. As I've mentioned in the beginning, uh, 1955, it was not a good year for motorsport. So uh, if you speak about the notable accidents, I think even if it wasn't directly in Formula One, of course, the big tragic one was at Le Mans, which also should affect Formula One directly as uh, races got canceled. And uh, up to that, uh, the Swiss government said, we, want, we do not want to have motorsports anymore. At all. <laughs> in all, Switzerland. All <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's besides quite this, a... yeah. besides the... this, yes, mm -hmm. sorry. You... Go, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I mean, besides this, uh, we had uh, the tragic accidents of the two-time uh, Indianapolis winner and also of the two times Formula One championship. So really a year where we lost uh, two champions. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I think I, I agree with you that on, on the accident side that the, the the most notable accident of the season didn't happen even in Formula One. And the second most notable happened outside the season in a sense that, you know, we lost Alberto Ascari. So by, by the most significant one, I mean Le Mans, of course, because it shaped you know yeah. what happened in formula one but um yeah that um, um we already talked about alberto ascari and that you know he died uh, he was not even supposed to be in that in that test car on the day yeah. but he still felt like he wanted to try it and uh, uh that led to very tragic consequence and uh, so that's to me number two and <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then I would say the Indianapolis uh, race, which was just severely dangerous that year, um, would be number three. So, so that's kind of if 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 there is such thing as ranking with with this kind of fatal accidents, then then that's probably going to be my ranking. Yeah, I mean we have speculated a lot. Um about Alberto Ascari, especially as we did a special issue. So maybe some, why he was in, uh, only three um, days uh, later in this car. Uh, he shouldn't be in that car. I mean, Alberto was driving for the Lancia team. So there, he shouldn't be testing a Ferrari race car, especially as at that time Lancia also had with the D24 um, a sports car. Maybe the reason why he was taking the opportunities, and this is something which we see normal uh, in, as a normal behavior for racing drivers, is if you are suffering uh, an accident, uh, you want to overcome the uh, trauma as soon as possible, because the longer you wait to uh, re-enter the cockpit, the bigger uh, it may get. So he saw it uh, as an opportunity to, to overcome the trauma of the uh, very heavy accident uh, of Monaco, and so he wanted to overcome his trauma and uh, with uh, some, um, some testing of this uh, Ferrari car, it, uh, unfortunately, it led to this fatal accident. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think also for him, uh, probably 
um, uh, that that kind of testing um, environment. Uh, we when we talked about Alberto Ascari, he was uh, he was quite a calculating person, so he kind of uh, combined this passion with uh, understanding of the risk, and uh, he probably thought that that was quite a um, safe uh, or relatively safe uh, playground for him to to um, be back in the driving seat and uh, that kind of backfired. So yeah, potentially he was simply not ready to go back into the driving seat at that point. And uh, yeah, but we will never know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we not mentioned uh, another big consequence of uh, the Le Bon accident uh, was that uh, Daimler-Benz took the decision to not do any kind of motorsports anymore and they stayed uh, true to this decision, I think, until the 1990s, when they first uh, uh, returned to uh, sports car racing, and uh, after that uh, also re-entered Formula One. But for many deca decades, we shouldn't uh, see Mercedes-Benz uh, on the racetracks, at least not in the uh, big uh, sports cars and uh, Formula Series not only Mercedes-Benz, uh, but also we didn't saw, see uh, any other bigger uh, German Formula One team for a long time. We had smaller ones, like in the 1980s. We, we saw that Porsche uh, tried, but never had a bigger success. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, so yeah, next I think year, I think it's it's very important point, Patrick, because I just want to say that we discussed uh, that, you know, as a driver, you had a lot of things going on, right? And you could uh, win uh, a season like we saw with the Sky in 1954, but then basically did not even have a car to drive <laughs> the following season. So that's kind of uh, the risk consideration for you on top of everything else uh, that, that is going on. But uh, so... But now Patrick mentioned for the team, uh, so not only you could have uh, uh, financial issues or technical issues that the car is not ready, we've seen that examples of that um, with um, uh, British, for example, whereas, whereas British constructors who wanted to enter but didn't have the cars quite ready. Um, so here's a completely different reason why, you know, you, you have a winning car, right? You have uh, two uh, seasons in a row when you won the championship and then you make a decision based on kind of ethical consideration. And you just say, well, you know what? No, we, we, we don't want to do that anymore because of what happened. So it, it's just uh, it's just a completely amazing thing. It's so so all of this um, spent and you know and all of this uh, investment that went into um, Mercedes cars uh, and this kind of beautiful pieces of engineering, all of a sudden you 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 basically say, well, uh, the, this is too much, right? And the death toll. We do care about this death toll, and we are going to just stop. And I just, I just find it completely uh, fascinating. Exactly. And with this, uh, already for the second time uh, in his uh, career, uh, Juan Manuel Fancho uh, had been champion 
of the world champion Formula One, but uh, no car didn't, anymore. Didn't have a seat, <laughs> yeah, so, as a result. So, yeah, yeah, so, I th- yeah, so it's just, it's just uh, so that that's, that's the world you live in if you're a Formula One driver. So you are completely, you know, uh, I'm not going to say expandable, but that's that's how it feels, right? You You, you essentially, you may have, all the chances in the world this season, but you have none the next season uh, for many different exactly. reasons. Right. Exactly, but let's say this time, uh, maybe he got already experience as it was the second time. So it is not that uh, in 56, he has to skip the year like he had to do in 1952, but uh, uh, he went into contact with Enzo Ferrari and should start uh, next year this yeah but also i think uh there the was a little bit um yeah so with kind of uh the, the british uh constructors and you know with uh, kind of the this uh, the new constructors that could now participate so you know it was a little bit easier where previously i mean i don't think there were much many choices with kind of no, just the alfa alfa romeo and ferrari pretty much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think also uh, at that time it would have been the logical uh, decision for Fancho to go to uh, Ferrari because the number one team in 55 was Mercedes-Benz. The best car after Mercedes-Benz uh, most probably, I mean we only saw the, um, the D50 in two races, but uh, they could, it seems they could uh, more or less keep up with the Mercedes. So. Uh, and as um, and uh, Enzo Ferrari had uh, the D50 for the next year, so it was uh, practically the logical decision to try to enter the Ferrari team, as they would have the best uh, car. Yeah, yeah. So definitely for 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 Fung- and then, and that again just shows how he was really thinking about what he was doing, right? So he was essentially kind of uh, um, uh, calculating. Uh, okay, where do I have the best chance? Considering all things considered, right? So, um, so that's that's again just showing how his character played in this situation. Oh, unfortunately, I only have like very, <laughs> very. I don't want to end uh, the uh, the episode like this, but uh, this is like really the year of fatal fatalities for me. Um, I don't know if if you have maybe more positive take, Patrick. On no, this. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mean, uh, if we uh, really uh, only uh, limited ourselves to the Formula One season, then uh, it stays um, a not happy view because it is the year where we lost the champion and a two-time champion. Yeah, exactly. So we have lost two two champions in the one in the US, another one in Europe, and. Um, Exactly. Yeah, so and it's uh, we lost like 84 spectators in Le Mans if we want yeah. to think about motorsports in general. So, I, uh, I think up to uh, today, this was the most black year for motorsports in general, yeah, definitely. And, uh, um, yeah, so but, um, maybe on the plus side, uh, we could say that really safety considerations finally started to be like really important here so it was not just you know we're going to race and it's exciting and it's fantastic but 
hey, can we really protect people who are watching the sport? Uh, and eventually they also started to think of, you know, can we protect the people who are driving these cars? Because these are very skillful, talented um, people and, you know, they practically are, you know, completely unprotected in, 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 in these cars. Yeah. And um, yeah, like we showed you the, the Silverstone picture and you could already see the difference from the previous ah. seasons and yeah, so it's all... Uh, so to me, I think maybe, you know, on the positive side, on the plus side, like finally someone started to think about health and safety with these things. Yes, and, uh, and uh, I mean, this is uh, how humans uh, are working and you may align this to the learning uh, theories that unfortunately the best learning is uh, through experience. And normally you think about safety only after something relevant uh, has passed. Yeah, but um, I think we, we observed uh, previously, you know, fatalities and uh, the viewers' fatalities. We, uh, we discussed uh, Nina Farina's, uh, um, you know, tragic accident in Argentina and all that. So it's, it's just, um, um, so it, it, in a sense, the, there was not... Um, it, it it was it was kind of the critical mass of these things accumulating right that finally led to um to several circuits being shut down and basically even you know uh, uh mercedes team leaving the the, the competition mm -hmm. um so it, it 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 seems like it's not only it's not enough to just have one experience or two experience you need to have enough people thinking that it's not okay yes. and it can't continue the same way right yep so here, here we go so here we go <laughs> okay well unfortunately on not a very happy note but uh, <laughs> we are going to end uh, this uh, this episode about 1955 uh, yeah it's not a very positive um overview of of the season but that's that was the season that was, so we just, you know, have to live with uh, what it was. And yeah, um, uh, there the, the were better years in Formula One, I think. Yes, and I, I guess and I hope that uh, 1956 will be better. Well, I'm optimist. <laughs> yeah, but we will find out uh, uh, about 1956 season next time. So exactly. yeah, join us for 1956. And uh, we're definitely going to talk about Sterling Moss and um, some other important people in, the, in yes. the next episodes. Yes, and maybe we will speak again about our friend uh, Juan Manuel Fancho. Exactly, uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, we will do that. All right. Meanwhile, have a have a great day, uh, everybody, and yeah, join us next time. And uh, as always, if you have any additional comments or you think we've missed something, please do let us know. Exactly. Again, it was a pleasure. Thanks to all who saw us or listened to us, and uh, hope you join us again the next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye.